song they just sang started with run for cover, our fears running thin. And in the chorus it says, we're just going to ride it out. We're fallen, but we're just going to ride it out. And I want to suggest to you that our history of riding out this fallen state that we're in has not been good. We're in Genesis. We're doing a series called Hidden Treasures. And we find ourselves in Genesis 2 and 3 for the second week in a row. And if you're new here, if this is like you've missed a couple weeks, you'll still understand what we're doing today. But the nature of this is that um, these weeks are kind of stacking on top of each other. Every two years we have a series where something like that happens, where each week kind of builds and has something to do with the other week. This is because the scriptures are interconnected. They, They are laced together. And so if you've been reading Genesis 2 and 3 to get ready for this, you can't put out of your mind Genesis 1. You've got to realize that when you spill over into Genesis 4 and you start reading there, you've got to be thinking about Genesis 1, 2, and 3 because they're interlinked and they're connected. And this morning, we're going to go back and we're going to talk about the fall. We're going to try and get the the main idea that was in that section of Scripture. We talked about the two trees last week and said, man, you have to understand this before we can understand this full idea that's going on in the text But we want to understand what's going on with the fall because it's still playing out in our lives right now. So the ideas gets tossed around at church a lot, but it's happening in your life. And I want you to understand um, what God had to say about that and how you can think about this. So that's, that's how we're going to spend our time. And we're going to ask you to go exploring with us like an ancient Jewish person would. And an ancient Jewish person would approach the scriptures and look for problems This is not something that we're used to doing. We'd like to find answers, not problems. But they would start with a problem. And there's a big one in Genesis chapter 3. It's big, but for many of us, we've grown up with it. We've talked about it. We're so used to it, we've kind of gone blind to it. And so we read over the problem, and we don't really want to explore and dig into it. So let me introduce the problem to you this way. When was the last time... An animal talked to you. Like, you looked around the room right now, right, hoping not to see anybody's hands up. Because then you might have to get some help for that person if that was the case, right? That's what you're all thinking. But in Genesis chapter 3, there's a talking snake. And many of us read that, and we're like, yep, sounds right. Let's go on. And you don't stop and pause and go, what is happening here? There's a talking snake. And... And some people have gone, hey, it's normal. This, was, this is just kind of what happened in the garden. There were talking animals. Everybody was used to it. Everybody knew that was going to happen. But if you go and look at the curse, the curse said the snake would have to crawl on its belly. Did it take away the ability to communicate? No, it didn't. In fact, there's only one other recorded animal in the scriptures that talks. It was a donkey. And we think it probably looks something like this. Get her out of my sight. No, no, I swear. No, take it off. Hey, I can fly. He can fly. He can fly. He can talk. (laughs) That's right, fool. Now I'm a flying talking donkey. Okay, maybe not exactly like that, right? But the part where the guy goes, he can talk. That surprise? That was on Balaam's lips when his donkey turned and talked to him. I haven't found a single Jewish writer that thought that it was normal for some animal to be talking. In fact, they would have used that as a reason to go, 
Something is happening here. See, we see that, and because we just accept it as a fact, we start having conversations about who the snake was. Was it a real snake? Was it Satan? Was it? And all of those, I think, are good conversations. They're worth having. Every time you answer that question, it raises other problems that are worth exploring. That's good kind of stuff. But for an ancient Jewish person, their first thought would not have been, who is this? Because this is so odd, they would have wanted to understand what it represented. What does this mean? Why is this happening? What's going on here? And so they would have dug into it. And so we want to start that too. Well, let's start by looking at some attributes of the snake. The snake has some attributes that are pretty odd. Uh, one, it talks. We, we talk, right? So it talks, but it just doesn't. It's not like a parrot that says back to you what you've been saying to it. This snake has some logical arguments that it's setting forth to Eve. This is a reasoning snake. So it has talking it has reason, and it somehow it has the ability to relate. Either it had an ongoing relationship with Eve and just decided to have this conversation, or sought Eve out specifically to have this conversation and knew enough about relationships that could start this thing. So listen, if you're paying attention at all, Genesis 1 up to this point, there's only two other beings that have these kind of traits. Who are they? God, mankind, and now the snake. Which is going to raise some interesting questions. Because the snake is about to do something unique. Um, there's a fourth characteristic. And that characteristic is going to catch our attention and hold our attention for the rest of this morning. It comes up in Genesis 3, chapter 1. Front part of this says, Now the serpent was crafty, more crafty than any other wild animals that God had made. This serpent was crafty, which is a strange way to describe this. Um, most people have concluded, oh, this, this snake is deceptive. He's dishonest. And there's a reason that you would think that, and we're going to look at that in just a second. But rabbis have looked at this and said, hey, there is something weird here. What just got used to describe the snake was just used in the verse before this in a different kind of way. And they think that you don't use those kind of words so close to each other without wanting to imply some form of connection. So let me show you the verse that's before this. This is Genesis 2.25. Does anybody see in there crafty? I didn't. That's because the two words come from the same root meaning. One's passive, one's not. The word that is associated with crafty is naked. Same root word. Same sort of thing. Which is, which is kind of interesting because as soon as that word gets associated with the snake, that starts to change everything. Because if you've been paying attention in Genesis 2 and 3, you would have noticed a whole series of words that kept coming up that were a little odd and they came up at odd times. Naked and nakedness. Like weird responses that are attached to these. Let me give you some examples. This is Genesis 3, 7. Both Adam and Eve have eaten the fruit. 
And this is what it says about them. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. They ate a fruit, and that's what they concluded. Hey, we're naked. From the fruit? I mean, what exactly is happening here? You might expect some sort of emotional response because they just disobeyed God. Maybe you find guilt. Maybe you find some shame. Maybe you find some embarrassment thrown in here somewhere. But the conclusion they come to is, hey, we're naked. Not only that, there is an emotional response that's recorded in verse 10. Adam, um, God is called out. He's not where he's supposed to be. He wants to know where he's at. And Adam says, I heard you in the garden in verse 10, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Whatever this naked is, it caused fear. It could have caused all kinds of emotional kind of turmoil. Again, guilt, you would expect some of those kind of things. But they're afraid. Why are they afraid? Why is this coming out? Well, I I think um, on top of this, there is a chiasm too, by the way in this section of scripture. We talked about this week one, where there are certain patterns in Jewish writing where they would mirror things. We're gonna put the mirror up on the screen so that you can look at, where Adam was alone, was alone with God and then was alone with Eve. Um, Adam was, or then the, um, Eve was named. She was named twice, once here, once here at the end. And if you start piecing these together, you get to the center which is the hidden treasure that the author really wants you to pay attention to. And what do you think is at the center of this thing? Naked. It's actually the section of scripture that we just read in um, Genesis 3-7. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. That's the treasure. Because that's the treasure, I don't think it's a coincidence that the snake gets labeled with this kind of dual thing. He's crafty and he's naked. He's both. And so if that's the case, if this idea of naked is so important, we're going to want to pay attention to it. Because what we're about to find out is this snake is going to approach Eve and suggest to her that there is a different way for making decisions in life. His way. And if, I, you know, if you think about this a little bit and you wonder what in the world is the motive for this snake, what would, what would cause him to do this? If you think back to Genesis chapter 2, Adam has gone and named all of the animals and all of them were found to be inadequate to be a helper for Adam. And the snake who's been deemed as not good enough for Adam is now attacking the one who was created to be good enough to be with Adam, Eve. And so he goes to her and he's going to make the case that she's no better than he is. And he should make, she should make decisions the way he makes decisions. And we're going to see it in what he says. So let me take you to there because it's, um, it's kind of hard to see just simply because of translation stuff. This is at the end of verse three or verse one of chapter three. This is what the snake said to the woman. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? 
the way many of us have read this over the years is that we thought that he was trying to deceive Eve by saying, did God really say you weren't allowed to eat out of that one tree? But that is not what he says here. He says, did God say you're not allowed to eat any of the trees? Which is ridiculous because we know in Genesis chapter 2, God said you could eat any, you could eat all. He emphasized it and said, look at the number of things you can eat. It's abundant. You have all of this stuff that you could go and eat. But here's the problem. Translators have, they have a hard job. When they translate something, they're trying to make sure that you'll understand what's written there. So if they run into something odd, they got to kind of smooth it out so that you can at least get it. But when you take out the oddity, in this case, you take out what's really going on. You take out the question that the snake really presents to Eve. Here's, here's the translation from the Hebrew. Even if God said that you can't eat from all of the trees of the garden, and it fades off, there's no end to the sentence. That's it. And there's an emphasis. There's one word that would have been said um, more boldly. Even if God said, don't eat from all of the trees of the garden, fades off. See, this is, this is an argument about a different way to process and think. He's not, he's not arguing that God didn't say eat from that one tree. He's not even saying that God didn't say you could eat from all of these trees. He's saying it doesn't matter what God said. So what God said that? Does that matter to me? I make decisions in a different way. See, we've looked at this snake and said, I think he's lying. But he's, his, his effort here is to make a statement for a different way of thinking. He's not lying. In fact, if you go and look at verse 5, when he says, this is what will happen to you, Adam and Eve, if you eat this, and then verse 22, you're going to find out that he was accurate. He said, this is what will happen to you, and this is what actually happened to them. The place that maybe some people think the snake lied, where they get caught up, is verse 4. Because God said, you will certainly die if you take from this tree. And the snake said, you will not certainly die if you eat from this tree. But here's what's fascinating. There's two ways to understand that in the Hebrew. One is the way I think God said it. You will surely face death if you eat from this tree. But the other one is, you will surely not be executed. The snake says to her, you're not going to be executed on the spot. Why, thank you, snake. That wasn't even on the table. That wasn't even being discussed. But I'm glad you answered that question for us, right? That's part of the craftiness of all of this. So I, I don't want to try to answer the question. I think that should be a good discussion. Do you think the snake lied or not? But whatever's going on, the snake is trying to present a different case for how he makes decisions. And it's not based on anything that God ever says. Saying, I don't need that. I'm an animal. And when I go to make decisions, I only need one thing. I need to know what my natural instincts are. Right? What's my instinctual desires in this? If I'm hungry, I'm going to eat. If I'm tired, I sleep. If I'm afraid, I'm going to run away. For me... 
The world is simply right there. What you see is what you get. I'm as naked as can be. If I want it, I do it. I don't need the words of God to inform me for anything that I need because he's given me desires. And that's how I operate. Now here's here's what's different. He says, listen, it really doesn't matter if God speaks or not. You have enough information to make your decisions. Except we learned in Genesis chapter 1 that God had three attributes. He was creator, he was spirit, and what was the third one? He speaks. And so for some reason, God says, listen, my ability to speak to you is no small thing. My ability to speak to you is an opportunity for you to get some boundaries in your life. It's an opportunity for me to give you some sort of wisdom. It's an opportunity for you to be shaped by the stuff that you need. Maybe even to have courage when you need it. And so when I speak, it's not out of bounds. It's not, it's not something that is hard for you. It's I'm doing it out of love and care for you. And so I speak. And the snake looks at Eve and says, listen, I don't need to hear God speak. And I don't think you do either. You already have what you need. You have desires. You have some instinctual desires, Eve. And if you would just learn to listen to those, you would be better off. Can can I tell you right now, I hear that in our culture um, pretty often, as a matter of fact. I hear it said this way. If God placed that desire in you, why would he not want you to act on it? If God gave you that desire, isn't it a cruel game that he would then withhold that ability for you to act on that desire that you have? Whatever it might be. And in some cases, the the part of the reason this argument is so hard for us and so difficult for us is they get part of it right. God does create you with desires. And And I would describe it maybe as an engine that drives your life. It's fuel for you. Because if you don't have desires, what exactly do you have? See, the desires that you have, some of you have used that to build a business. Some of you have used that to build a career. Some of you have used that fuel, that you that desire that's in you to be great in school, to be good at the sport that you're working towards. Some of you have built families with that. You've done some things where you have achieved. You've gone out and got some stuff, acquired some stuff that would be really helpful and great to have. And so all of that is it's good. Can you imagine, just for a second, Can you imagine life without any desires? There'd be no need for you to have food that tasted good. All it would have to do is just fuel your engine. There'd be no need for you to have a job where you felt any kind of purpose and meaning and value to it. 
There's no need for that. You're just trying to survive and get through. No desire to fuel, to drive, would cause us to have these bland lives that just existed. And so when people look at you and say, didn't God create you with desires? Didn't he give you this thing that motivates you forward, gets you going? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. The snake's argument is that if you can understand that, that's all you need. You don't need any more. You don't, it wouldn't matter if God said you can't eat all of these trees. You would know what you need as long as you listen to your desires. And I would tell you our culture is saying the same thing to us right now. And the snake and our culture got one big thing wrong. There is a difference. There's a difference between mankind and animals. It's our ability to look at the desires that God gave us and to say, I know when enough is enough. I know when to stop. I know that I can't always trust me. So when a voice who created me speaks and says, this is a boundary, I'll listen. I'll know a voice that speaks and says, hey, I want you to be courageous right now instead of faint of heart. I'll listen. But when a voice says, listen, I know you feel like being angry right now, but I'm asking you to draw a boundary there and not go there. You make that choice. And all of a sudden, you become different. And the scriptures say you are. You're made in God's image. And one of the things that happens because of that is you have the opportunity to say, enough is enough, I will trust the voice of God, and I'll draw boundaries where God says they're drawn. I'll put those in place in my life. See, maybe it starts to to help us understand why the tree is in the garden in the first place. Because I don't know about you, but did you have the question about that tree? Like, why did God put the tree of good and evil in the garden in the first place? Was it a trap? Because if any of you have kids, you know, if there's something that you don't want them to touch, the last thing you say to them is, here, don't touch this. Right? Oh, they're going to lick it. They're not just going to touch it. They're going to be up rubbing it and everything, right? They'll carry it off into the the room. It's like, what are you doing with that? I told you not to even get near that. Well, that's our human nature. That's what's happening with all of that. But I want to tell you right now, if that tree isn't there, then you don't have to decide when enough is enough and you're just an animal. But the second that tree's there, you've got to have some decisions now. Who will I listen to? Is there anybody outside of my desires that I should listen to that would curtail what I would do? Do you know why Adam and Eve were afraid and they hid? Because this idea of nakedness is about unchecked desire where you just go. Like it's good for me, so I'm going to do it. And they did that. 
And they realized in the moment that they had unleashed some power that was dangerous and destructive. And they didn't know they had that much in the first place. And they realized, I could wreck this all. I have that kind of ability. And it caused fear in them to realize, God's given me some choices here. And I can choose to listen to his voice, but I also don't have to. I can follow my own desire. I can go my own way. And I can see where it leads me. I don't know if any of you find this interesting, but what did the curse say would happen to the snake? He would be on his belly in what for the rest of his life? Crawling around in the dirt. I think that is an incredible picture that describes what happens in the life of somebody who gives themselves to their desires and that's it. I mean, it's easy to see that in an addict, right? That I'm just going to give myself to my desires. Whatever I want, I'm going to do. And it wrecks their life. But I'm just telling you right now, the same thing happens for each one of us. When we look at the stuff that drives us and we don't let God inform us, shape us, create boundaries for us, we act like animals that, and that puts us in the dirt and we crawl around in that. And God had something different in mind for you. He would speak to you. He would speak to you through his spirit. He would speak to you through his word. He would find communities of people who would speak into your lives. He would find ways to speak. And you would get to make some choices. And just like Eve, this next week, there will be times, moments, where you will bump up against things that are your desire to do and you'll be called to make it a question, like a decision. Does this honor God or does this not honor God? What does God say about this? And you'll have to choose. And the truth is, you have the power to choose. And it could lead you, your desire could fuel you to do something great and good and powerful, or it could put you in the dirt. And the question is, who are you going to listen to? Is the advice of the snake, is he right? It doesn't really matter what God has to say. You know enough to make the choices and the decisions that you want. Or will you be wise enough to realize that you've been given this great, incredible gift called desire, and you've been given this great and incredible gift with God speaking into your life. And because... You are not an animal. You can choose the boundaries that honor God. And you can be different. Eve had that choice. You will too. I'm wondering what you'll choose. Will you pray with me? God, I come um, with a quiet heart as I think about this stuff because um, this is about me too. It's about the desires that I face. And they, um, 
They're a gift from you. I'm grateful for it. But I can also see the wrecks that I've made, the damage that I've done to relationships at times because I elevated what I wanted to be the most important thing. And God, I think this fallen state, we do this. And we miss this idea that when God speaks, it matters. Snake's point was it really didn't matter what he said one way or the other. Just do what makes you feel good. Do what makes you happy. Do whatever's on your heart. God, to suggest that there are any boundaries in our culture right now gives you all kinds of labels. You're a prude. You're old-fashioned. You just don't get it. You're not with the times. But I ask that we would have the courage to listen for your voice, to put ourselves in your word, to accept the great gift of desire but to take your wisdom, to take your guidance, to shape that into something that's meaningful. Got to ask as we step into our weeks and we face these decisions that you would be there with us, that we would hear your voice, that we would see our desire, that we would choose you. We love you and we know you love us. Thank you for speaking and not being a God who's quiet. In Jesus' name.